I'm gonna have to to clean out this microphone soon because I only have three hours of recording time left. Oh, I thought you meant like you were gonna have to clean out the microphone because it's <laughs> filthy because no. you're like because your disgusting mouth has been all <laughs> no. Uh, uh, I have a question for you. What is your question? What was it? What was it? What was it? What was it? No what, one what? knows. I, what's funny about this is. We are in the midst of the of the section of the Dark Descent that is all about like vagueness and weirdness and is anything really going on? And the one story that has the most vague title is the also the one story that has the most concrete answer. What was it? An invisible ghoul. It was yep. an invisible ghoul. <laughs> and there's no question at the end of this story as to whether or not there was an invisible ghoul. There was just an right invisible there. ghoul. It was such a, an actual ghoul that when it died, they had to bury it in the backyard. Yep. What was it? A concrete answer. And actually a concrete ghoul because they cast him in plaster and gave they him to did. a museum. Concrete ghoul, concrete answer, concrete death by gun. And I, uh, death by what? Gun. <laughs> No, no, that's real life. The ghoul died of starvation. <laughs> I know. Oh, can I can I admit to you something? I was what? very sad at the end of this story. So was I. For like everyone involved. Nobody, nobody, even the narrator, the last line of the narrator, uh, the narration is the guy going, well, I'm about to go off on a trip from which I may never return. See you later. Yep. And then you know what happened later? Fitzjames O'Brien went away and never returned. Or nope. he did, but he returned and then died. Like, he returned in a in a box. He returned. He actually didn't res- return in a box. His box yeah. was not returned to his homeland like it was supposed to be returned to. When he was actually cremated. Uh, he was, So yeah. in an urn. And he lingered for seven weeks, uh, mm. dying a slow, painful death. But a slow, painful death that was punctuated by... Lively and very funny and very loving letters he wrote to his friends so they wouldn't be too upset about him. He also had a glass of sherry when he died, according to the article that I read. He was... I spent last night reading tributes that were written about him by his by his friends mm-hmm. and almost crying my eyes out at times because of how much everyone seemed to love and revere and just be so broken up 18 years later about their friend dying. Oh, by the way, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's, it's Del, Toro Del Toro time. time. It's Del Toro time and we are Woo! back with the... <laughs> <laughs> and we are back with The Dark Descent. We are back with J- uh, uh, David G. Hartwell's The Dark Descent. We are in A Fabulous Formless Darkness, the section of the book that is all stories about what is going on. What was it? It was Fitzjames O'Brien. Was his name actually Fitzjames O'Brien? No, he changed it to that. I think his his name was like Danny O'Brien. It was something very Irish. Uh, yep. It wasn't Fitzjames. I don't know where he got I Fitzjames mean, Fitzjames from. is still very Irish. <laughs> Fitzjames is very Irish. Oh, uh, 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 Michael. He was born Michael O'Brien in Cork, <laughs> Ireland. And, and he was like, I want to be more Irish, actually. Yeah, he was like, this is I want to be enough. a caricature. I can't imagine him go going like, you know what there's a lot of in this world? Michael O'Brien's. You know what there's a lot of in this world in 1826? Michael O'Brien's <laughs> in Cork, Ireland. Yeah. And him just being like, Fitz James is at least a little stranger. Uh, he had a bushy mustache that he had for, I guess, most of his life. He uh, may have he, had an affair with an English have... officer's wife. 
he may have. And if so, good for him. An Irishman having an affair with an English officer's wife is just a little bit of a of the stick it to themness that England deserved for what they he did. He may to have the had Irish. to flee England because of it. <laughs> He may have had to, but it is worth noting that a lot of his life is a bit of a mystery Mm -hmm. uh, because almost everything written about him was written 18 years after his death uh, because, I mean, he just, I mean, clearly he just didn't write stuff down about himself. He didn't write about himself. He was fairly private uh, about his life and a little, a little shifty about his life in the, in Ireland before he moved to the States. Uh, uh, and also a man who probably tried to like, he may have been a bit of a, a yarn spinner about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually, uh, 18 years after he died, uh, William Winter, a good friend of his. That's sat an awesome down. name too. William Winter, Billy the Winterman, Billy the Coldman. Bill Billy, Wint. Bill Frost. Bill went uh, where? <laughs> Bill went where? What was it? <laughs> we don't pool. know. Uh, no, we know exactly. We keep talking, telling you we know exactly what it was. No, uh, he dies and he leaves his letters in like his 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 estate, uh, his like literary estate to two guys, one of whom dies soon after he does. And the other one just is his friends were either writers or military guys. And mm-hmm. no one ever has the time to like put together all of his papers and writings. And Fitzjames O'Brien wrote. For everyone, for Harper's, for like, uh, yeah, for for just every magazine and newspaper you can imagine, he was writing constantly. What I, you would think that he would have financial stability because of that, but from what I read, he did not because he spent all of his money on his friends as soon as he got it. He had an inheritance of like $8,000 that he blew through in two years in London from like, yeah. yeah. Which which he talks about. Mm -hmm. He He would talk to his friends about that, but- he was kind, yeah. He was kind of a, uh, he was an artist. Like he was a transient artist. He slept he, on his friends' couches. It sounded like he fit into both high society and also not high society. Well, I think it helps that a he was in his prime. He was super handsome, mm-hmm. according to all of his friends. And b he was redonkulously smart. I mean, yeah. so smart. And to read these tributes, so oh, so his this guy William Winter he. He starts putting together, he's like, gosh, no one's, he had family who was going to put together a, like a, a collection of his writings. They were never able to get to it. So William Winter's like, I, we've got to do this. All of his friends are dying now. Like everyone's mm-hmm. getting old. Everyone's starting to die. Uh, a lot of them were military guys, so they were sick or injured anyway. A lot of them were writers and they were like starving to death or dying <laughs> of illness, illnesses and syphilis and things like that. So uh, I've got to, I've got to put this together. And he sends out. A letter to everyone he can find who knew him and was like, I'm putting together this thing. Can you just send me some reminiscences about him? It's been 18 years, but anything you can remember. And he gets a bunch of responses and he just publishes them in, in their entirety in this mm-hmm. in this book, uh, the some of the best ones. And it's it's inc- if you want to get your hands on, I mean you can read it for free on in the internet archive it's uh, there's a there's a like a, a a reproduction of it it's called the poems and stories of Fitzjames O'Brien William Winter uh it published in 1881 and he uh he, it, uh, I was I was just so taken by people's one of the guys is like oh my god it's been 18 years I mean I barely knew the guy I'll tell you what I can goes on for like 10 pages <laughs> Just like uh, from the second he first uh, he first published something in our magazine until the day he died, I considered him a friend. 
Uh, what a great guy. But what I can tell, though, when he was in money, he was great. When he didn't have money, he was kind of a pain in the butt to be around. I guess he had something of a reputation for being kind of a hard guy to be around at times. Mm -hmm. I think he was probably pretty depressed a lot. I uh, mean, that's a pretty standard, like, uh, symptom of depression is money troubles. <laughs> You yeah. blow through it all when you're at your high. Maybe you blow through it all when you're at your high and then you're at your low again and just it's and kind of an endless And you spend it all wave. on your friends. Yep. Like, yep. Because you, you, you want you them to know out. that you love them. Yep. And I think that's what people got from him. They were just like, he was hard to be around at times. We, we uh, Oh, apparently he was also ripped. Like he was like <laughs> a gymnast. They're like, the guy was super strong. He was a gymnast before that was like a popular thing to be. Mm -hmm. Uh he was a devoted like when he he moves to America he becomes super patriotic as soon as they go into the civil we go into the civil war he's like sign me up put me on the front i want to fight i'm an abolitionist i believe in the union i want to fight for this country uh i i i'm going to go out there and I'm, i'll probably die and he, he does eventually die he, he doesn't eventually he die he dies fairly early on but not before getting commendations people yeah. who like his commanding officers were like this guy was the best he, he died like not in an official duel but in a one-on-one -on -one with the opposing like general or lieutenant mm -hmm. like they shot and at he each won. other he, he yeah won. well for a while yeah well but he still he took down his he took down his enemy. Yeah. Um, uh, his last story, he published a couple of things while he was at war. <laughs> yeah. I think his last story was about a soldier who was writing a letter to his like lover uh, about how he lost an arm, but everyone else was like doing worse. So it was okay. Trying to like yeah. reassure her. And that's like really sad because of how he died. <laughs> he gets shot. The bullet goes completely through his shoulder, his left shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he doesn't get any medical attention at first because he's leading his men. And finally, they're like, dude, you're passing out and falling off your horse. Please go get some medical help. Uh, he gets taken to Maryland. He's in, or he's in Maryland or gets taken there to, the, to, to somebody's home. Uh, the doctors are like, ah, you'll be fine. Terrible doctors. Uh, and he, he lays in bed for a while. Finally, like, they're like, oh, it looks like actually like your entire bone is in pieces. There's there's like bits of bone all throughout. We're going to have to operate and reconstruct your shoulder in the 1800s. It's an incredibly long, incredibly painful surgery and surgeries. Mm -hmm. uh, the surgeons, he's, he's in pain for the entire time he's there. Eventually, he gets tetanus. Uh, and he writes to his friends. He's like, I have tetanus. I, uh, uh, I'm i not bouncing back from, I'm probably not bouncing back from this. Mm -hmm. If I do, I'll see on, I'll see you the rosy side of dawn. But uh, otherwise, you know, I'm just going to keep writing and don't worry about me. I'm doing great. I had a good life. And I'm reading the stuff that he wrote and it's brilliant. Like the guy's a beautiful writer. Yeah. Just a like his, his he just he, I I read I read a bunch of his poetry in this mm -hmm. collection and I was just like oh my god like he just apparently he was also a really good reader they were like he would just pick up apparently other works. he found editing really boring though <laughs> but also nobody knew when he wrote yeah. they were like he would be like drinking all night and hanging out all day and then he'd be like oh i wrote this poem yesterday and <laughs> we'd read it and 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 he refused he was a perfectionist so mm -hmm. they're like when did he do all this we don't know when he wrote but he managed to do it 
Uh, and he would write at people's homes. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember when he wrote this poem. He wrote it at my house. He was a playwright, table. too. Oh, right. He had a he super wrote plays. successful play. Yeah. Like, I think the most popular comedy at the time yep. was written by him. Uh, oh, and the reason I found all this, I found all this because I was reading the Wikipedia page on mm-hmm. his life. And I was like, there's no citations in this. So there's like three. But that's impossible. And I started looking around and I was like, all I'm finding is like the same people who clearly just read the Wikipedia page writing about him. Mm-hmm. So I find I get this book and I read the introduction. I read these letters and I'm like, oh, because this is the only source. Yeah. Like, and the I, I, I sent to you and you found the like his his obituary. Yeah. I also I f- found I found uh, his college, uh, his college like they had like a yearly uh uh like yearbook about like where are they now called the shield and uh and they wrote a thing like like the shield the quarterly magazine uh it not just from his college it was his uh his his fraternity yeah uh the uh theta delta chi uh published a quarterly magazine and by magazine of course like a 500 page <laughs> Uh, and in eighteen ninety seven, quarterly 90, novel, <laughs> a quarterly novel because that's the way things worked. Eighteen ninety seven, ninety eight, they wrote uh, about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really nice, like he contributed, like he contributed to the Lantern. He wrote poems and sketches for the Home Journal, published occasional matter for the New York Times, the Evening Post, the American Whig Review. Uh, his his because he, he was also a journalist. Skulls. He was a journalist. Uh, and that's one of the things that made putting together his this collection of his so hard was because in addition to having to read everything he wrote, you had to find everything he wrote. Mm-hmm. And you had to get permission to reprint everything he wrote. So there's and a lot of stuff. And he published in, some stuff anonymously, right? There's some stuff that had no byline. So you had to like write to the editors and be like, 18 years ago, do you can you have the do you have the records of what Fitzjames sent to you that he was just published anonymously. Yeah, because a lot of stuff he wrote was just like just one-off articles he was, about he things. He was a ghostwriter in one of Charles Dickens's things, right? Oh, I didn't read about that part. Was he? I think so. Uh, in his magazine or whatever. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm the more I read about this guy, the more I'm just like, what a, the, the thing that people keep saying about him is they're like, it's a shame that he died when he did. Because if he had lived longer, we'd be studying this guy. Like, yeah. Because he, he kind been... of, after his death, his stuff kind of went out of the, like, circuit. I was like, this is what would have happened to Lovecraft if there had been no August Derleth, mm-hmm. who swoops in right after Lovecraft dies and just starts printing his stuff like crazy. Reprinting his stuff, writing expansions on his stuff, popularizing his stuff, getting it out there. If that had happened with O'Brien, if he had had a Durleth, like right after he died, just pumping his stuff out, we would know more about or have talked more about him or be mm-hmm. learning more about his writing, like studying his poetry. Because his stuff. writing is fantastic. He's so good. We haven't even gotten to the story. We haven't gotten we're to discussing. the story. The story is going to take up very little of this. It's very straightforward and very short. <laughs> and very short. But, uh, but I just, I, I, I want to know more about this guy. I he seemed know like mo- an awesome person. He was an abolitionist. Yeah. Like you've already mentioned that, but he he called out the like uh, rich people, like the nobility and stuff in mm-hmm. in England for not helping people during the famine. Uh, and, and and he had great friends. Yeah, he like, he yeah, devoted friends who like went to his mother after he died. Like people like went to like went to to visit her to talk to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and the, but he was yeah he was only really known i mean he was very well known at the time yeah i mean were, his like, obituary says that he's one of him. the most like successful writers of the time <laughs> exactly and not successful like uh like uh what's his face who wrote the king in yellow yeah like, just who wrote like some some really brilliant stuff but then mostly wrote just sort of popular trash that disappeared like Fitzjames O'Brien, people are just like, no, everything this guy writes is is worthy of canon ca- canonization, <laughs> and and unfortunately, he died young. He died at thirty five, uh, before he re- Oh, and the one of the thing, one of the things that they said is a few of his friends were all, yeah, and before he went off to war, he told a bunch of his and like even during the war, he was like, I've been working on a on a on a major work. And I have it completely ready to go all up here. As soon as I return from the front, I'm writing my big work. Like, he was ready. He was like, here Mm -hmm. it comes. I'm going to write the thing that's going to put me on the map. I've been writing it in my head for, like, a decade. Never got out. So somewhere in, like, the whatever the fantastical library is of, of like, uh, unwritten works that, like, I can't remember who wrote about that. Uh, like Umberto Echo or somebody, the uh, somewhere that novel exists. That and it's James brilliant, O'Brien. and the world is worse off for not having it. So if any of you are traipsing through the Dreamlands and you come upon Dreams Library, just look up Fitz James O'Brien and find the novel he didn't write because I really want to know what it is. Same. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Like, it's just and and, and it's, it's so it's, sad. But also, like, he died a hero. Mm-hmm. Like, people are like. Like they're like he did die how he wanted to, which is fighting for the union, like fighting yep. for his country, uh, and with taking... a glass of sherry in his hand at the end. Yep, and uh, and and like seemingly with no regrets, he didn't seem to live with many regrets. Uh, he had a bohemian side. Mm-hmm. He apparently he wore the same like checkered coat every day, like checkered outfit, and uh, and one of his friends was like. For a long time, like those were the only checks we were familiar with, uh, <laughs> like this checkered jacket. They're like it's. They said it's the checkered, the checkered outfit that British guys are always shown wearing in farces. Like okay. that's how you knew a. That's how you knew a British guy was there because it's like the guy in like the in like the checkered yeah. coat. Um, yeah, he was a character. Big mustache. Uh, uh, I looked at uh, some of the like drawings and stuff that were done of him, like the caricatures and stuff, and they're fun. Uh, yeah, and according to William Winter. Uh, a lot he William Winter didn't meet him until he had gone through some stuff and he was like in his later years he didn't look that great like life kind of got to him mm-hmm. uh he had been roughed up a little bit uh he wore his he wore his destitution on his skin uh uh but they were like when he'd smile like all of a sudden like they're like he oh and he wasn't they were like he was an Irish wit but not like with a bunch of puns and wordplay, like people thought of Irish wit at the time. He they was were like, born he was in a just... place called Limerick. <laughs> well, he was born in Limerick. <laughs> right. But they were like, he was like, he was that like sort of like dry, subtle, like mm-hmm. just his, the way he used words. They were like, he was so funny, uh, a good sense of humor. And, uh, and I think we've talked a lot about him now. Yep. What, what was it? What was it? We've already what talked about it? what it was. It's an invisible ghoul. An invisible ghoul. What's today's story? Today's story is What Was It by Fitzjames O'Brien. Yes. Uh, it's a story that made me sad uh, at the end. It did make you sad at the end. Made me sad at the end. And not because anything bad happens to the main character. But because something sad happens to the creature. Uh, who's not a good creature. 
No, it is a terrible uh, creature. Yeah. Uh, so this story was originally published in uh, in 1859. Um, and what did uh, what did David Hartwell have to say about about old Fitzy here? Uh, he said that he is the heir apparent to Poe in America. I think he was called he was called something Poe at some point. The Irish Poe. Yeah, something like that. The muscly Poe. <laughs> the the gymnast Poe. Um, <laughs> the gymnast Poe. It, according to our good old editor, it is a story substantially ahead of its time. Uh, I did read a bit about some of the, like a couple of the other stories that he wrote, and the Wondersmith was what stood out to me because mm. it's about uh, robots being made that then turn on their creators, and I thought that that yeah. was fun for the the time period. Oh, and uh, the Diamond Lens. Yeah, was another that's one of the his... one where the guy falls in love with the microscopic creatures, right? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Harper's Magazine, March 1859 is where this first appeared. I looked it up. I looked at the original publication. And it is that thing where it's like magazine, which means it was this thick. Yep. And like <laughs> tiny print in columns. Mm-hmm. And this one article just runs right into the next one. So it's like it just goes da 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 what was it? <laughs> and it's actually called What Was It? A Mystery. Because I think if people didn't see the A uh, Mystery, they'd be like, I don't know, editor. What was it? Because <laughs> it didn't have his name or anything. Under yeah. It. He just said what was it. I think you had to look at the table of contents to see his mm-hmm. name. Uh, but yeah, 19, 1859, uh, considered by some to apparently be the first invisible guy story or visible <laughs> thing. I have to believe something invisible existed in fiction before this. Hopefully. But I keep reading stuff that's like, I think a lot of people just read each other's stuff. So they keep repeating things about, like, yeah. so one person wrote, it's the first invisible guy. So everyone just kind of like reiterates that. It That's kind of what happens when there's not a lot of sources on something. You're it's right. like that, that one time when somebody edited a Wikipedia page uh, and then the Wikipedia page cited that person as if that they had gotten the information from them. And then it was just a right. loop of misinformation. <laughs> So what is this story about? Like, What happens in this okay. story? It's pretty short. Uh, the story is about our narrator. Do we ever get a name for our narrator? Uh, you know. The, uh, Harry. Yeah. And and for many, Harry Escott. Um, because Harry Escott. Okay. There was a story he wrote called uh, The Pot of Tulips. Yeah. Uh, in 1855. And I believe the main character is named Mr. Escott in that story. I think mm-hmm. is how it works. It, the narrator in this story references having written a story called The Pot of Tulips. Okay. And we know this guy's name is Harry. So people are like, well, Harry Escott is the author of The Pot of Tulips and of what was it? And so they're called like the Harry Escott stories. But <laughs> that's literally it. Like they don't have much <laughs> other connection between the two of them. Um, okay, well, yeah. Harry, our main character, is a guy who lives with a bunch of other tenants um, mm-hmm. in a house. Uh, the story starts with a description of the house, which was uh, owned by a financial guy who was caught, uh, a New York merchant who was caught in bank fraud, mm-hmm. uh, who then fled to Europe and died of a broken heart. <laughs> Which is, I don't understand what that even means. Like, of all the things to die from after fleeing. He got caught with fraud and died of a broken heart. But um, after he died, supposedly his house started getting haunted. Uh, 26th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I was like, okay, that's fine. But then it's it starts getting haunted, right? And I'm like, by a man. But then it starts talking about like skirts and uh, a bunch of other things. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the fact that there's a lot of supernatural stuff that's brought up in the beginning mm-hmm. and throughout that has seemingly nothing, nothing to, do to do with what actually happens in yeah. this house. It seems like it's a store, like a house that's meant to like sound haunted, but actually isn't. Because uh, nobody can like live in it. Like a caretaker and his wife moved out. Um, but it, it really seemed like it only started like getting picked up after the original story came out. So people were probably just like, oh, we can't actually afford this house. We need to find a way to like get out of having it. Um, so but also it, what I love is, what I love is, no one can live in the house, so it goes up for sale, and it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And yeah. the tenant's landlady, Mrs. Moffat, buys this haunted house for mm-hmm. cheap and then moves all of her tenants across yeah. town into she's it. Yeah, like, and I she's love like... that. I love, I love that most haunted house stories are like, I'm moving my family into this haunted house because we can only afford it. Mm-hmm. I love the, I'm moving all my tenants into a haunted <laughs> house because it's cheap. But also, it's like... And she's like, I think you guys would like this haunted house because it seems mm-hmm. like what you guys would be into. Yeah. And only two people bow out. Only two yeah. people are like, we're going to we'll just go somewhere else. Yeah. And you know what? They really do like the haunted house. It's that thing where like if you move a bunch of people into a haunted house and they want it to be haunted, nothing is going to happen. Right. Because that's exactly what happens. <laughs> uh, there's two things these people like. They like haunted houses and they like smoking the ope. Well, there's they only love... two of them like smoking opium, right? <laughs> Yes, our hero and his Dr. best buddy, Hoffman. Dr. Dr. Hammond. Hammond. Hoffman is another human being who actually existed. Yes, uh, Tales of E.T.A. You're thinking of E.T.A. Hoffman, the author of The Nutcracker and many great horror stories, including The Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, they're opium smokers. And yeah. again, I thought- you think that... You think that might come into play. Yeah, I thought there, it was going to be like, oh, was it really just the opium? It's not. It it's certainly not. is. It gets... In fact, there's many versions of this story in reprints that just cut all the mentions of opium entirely. Mm-hmm. They are like, it gets boldlerized a little bit. And they're like, yeah, uh, we don't want to see people who just happily, happily, casually, recreational taking, recreationally taking drugs, which is, it's basically they're just smoking out every night. Yeah. They're, they're intelligent guys. They're well, they're, they're very educated. They, they, they just want to be happy. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're like, we once. don't overdo it. We're not like overindulging in it. We do a little bit at a time and we just have like big, big philosophical conversations. Yeah. They're just a couple of young guys smoking dope <laughs> and talking about stuff. Yeah. And it's all positive stuff because they don't want their dreams to get infiltrated right. by ghosts and ghouls. Right. Um, uh, but well, like uh, one uh, one night things take a little bit of a darker turn for whatever reason. And our main well, character is like, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> well, because they have a book. Mm-hmm. Um, that they've all been like sharing around uh, the night side of nature. Yeah. Uh, by uh, by Catherine Crow, mm-hmm. and Which is an I awesome picked up name. I picked up a copy of it for ninety nine cents. Yeah. Uh, uh, started reading it. Catherine Crow was a scientific spiritualist. She was mm-hmm. a spiritualist, but she was like, you got to be able to explain this stuff with science. Science is new. Like science is is, and she was like, people used to believe in everything. Then in the 18th century, they stopped believing in anything. It's the 19th century now. 
time for us to like find a, a, a halfway point. Yeah. But we use science to prove that the supernatural exists and why it exists. And that's and what I love this book this, is. I love this movement in general. I love the, yeah. the movement in the 1800s. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote this book, The Night Side of Nature, which is basically like based on a German expression that's like that's uh, used to mean like uh, the, the other side, like the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the unseen world, we kind of the stuff we covered in that other story, uh, Night was it night side? The night side? I think so. Yeah, night side. I think night that was side, what it was yeah. called. Night side. Uh, and so I'm reading the intro. I don't, I, it's a long book. I, I was just, I was sort of skipping through it, but there's a lot of like spooky stories in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says in the intro, she's like, I'm not trying, I'm not writing this so you can just sit around and read spooky stories. This is a scientific work. Yep. But I think a lot of people just read it because it had a lot of great case studies in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was a paranormal investigator and it's a real book. You could get it for 99 cents on Kindle. Uh, highly recommend picking it up. Uh, uh, yeah. So these, that's a real, that's a real book. Uh, yeah. they mentioned Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lighton, uh, which is an occult novel. And they mentioned, uh, Wyland or the Transformation and American Tale, uh, by Charles Brockton Brown, which is a, which is considered the first American Gothic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. As far yeah. as like the influences on this story, and the uh, and what it's trying to say, yeah. Um, but Harry gets a bit freaked out, so he's like, "I'm gonna go to bed because I don't want this to continue." And right. you're like, "Okay, s- like supernatural stuff's about to happen." Because he mentions at the beginning something horrible happening on this night. I thought something mm-hmm. was gonna happen to Hammond after he left. Uh, but he right, gets, he gets into like maybe bed. he sees the maybe he sees the ghost of his yeah. lover because. <laughs> Well, because they're talking about, like, the question that comes up is, what is, like, what do you think the, like, paragon of fear is or whatever? Right. That's their big question. Like, what's the scariest thing? Yeah. Uh, where is Which it? is exactly what you would talk about with your friend while you're smoking out. What do you, you like, consider to be the greatest element of terror? Yeah. Like, is it a story you've read or something? Mm. And he's like, look, dude, I've seen corpses floating down the river. Like... I've seen pretty scary stuff. It's going to take a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he, he goes to bed, and as he's laying in bed, he gets set upon by a creature. <laughs> he wakes up, something drops onto his bed, grabs onto his him by chest. the chest. Yeah, grabs him by the throat. It's basically the uh, that painting of The Nightmare. Yeah, the from, the that's nightmare. on the cover of all the Frankenstein novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the cover, like gothic and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, with the little creature sitting on the woman's chest. Yeah. It's that. It's that creature. Uh, except for it's invisible. Uh, except, yeah. And it's pitch black in the room. So something's strangling him. Yeah. And, and like, he, he manages to get it. He manages to like wrestle it off and like pin it and use a handkerchief to like tie its hands together or something. Because remember, Fitzjames O'Brien, what is he? A gymnast. He's strong. Uh, which is one of the reasons people consider this character to be Fitzjames O'Brien writing himself. Unless he just uh, like was so out of touch with reality that he assumed anyone could do everyone this. Everyone was drunk. <laughs> so being a human being, I was incredibly fit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and all of the like struggle and stuff has brought everyone to his door. And he's sitting there and he's holding this creature. He turns the gaslight on and he like screams. And everyone's like, what's going on? He's like, there's an invisible creature. And everyone's like, the hell are you talking about? And I love the idea of this guy, this like rough, tough, burly guy, this wrestler guy, a guy with like 
who's mm-hmm. like been a pugilist. He's got a big mustache. He's wrestling something in his room. He he grabs it. He gets its hands bound and he reaches over, flips on the light. There's not. He's holding nothing and he's all. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. just coming, like bursting into his room, like what? And he's like, I've got an invisible man. There's an invisible guy in my bed. And Hammond's like, what the hell are you talking about? You've talking smoked about. too much opium. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm serious. Come touch it. Uh, and Hammond comes over and touches it. And he's like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, uh-uh. no. <laughs> and I love how everyone else just kind of slowly backs out of the room. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, you guys have to believe us. And they're like, no, we don't believe you. But we're not going to believe you by touching it because that would break away our barriers of understanding. He's like, fine, here's what I'll do. And he throws it on the bed and yep. the bed like shifts. <laughs> and everyone's yeah. like, ah, why have you done this? <laughs> they they restrain it. They They tie it down. It's on the bed. And there it shall stay. Yeah. Because they can tell it's breathing. And he can feel his heartbeat. And they feel it all over. And they're like, well, it's roughly humanoid. But I sure do wish we knew exactly what this thing looked like. Yeah. and he's Call like, in your, 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 your plaster of Paris, pal. Call in your anonymous doctor. They cut his Who, name out for some reason. <laughs> yeah, he does like the Dr. S blank. Mm-hmm. Well, he probably was like, I don't want this guy to get people to like bother my friend who, by the way, chloroforms the invisible monster. Yep. So they can cast it in plaster. <laughs> Which I guess means that I like, had to like do the thing where you like put tubes in the nose and yeah. like put Vaseline or petroleum jelly all over the skin uh, because that thing's got to breathe. But yeah, they make a plaster cast of the thing and are like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a ghoul. Yeah, it's, it's a, a four foot tall ghoulish man creature. Yeah. With like and a they're big like, face. what? What is happening? And, and the landlady. Get... What? Oh, no, go ahead. And uh, everyone's like, get it, get rid of it, kill yeah. it. And they're like, but that would, but we don't want to, we don't want to just kill it. <laughs> yeah. And the landlady's like, you two get out. And they're all, okay. But we're leaving this here. Yeah. And she's all, you you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, of course. And they're like trying to figure out what to do with it. They're trying to feed it, but it won't eat anything. Um, And they're like, right. this is like, we don't know what to do here. And they just kind of like have to watch it starve to death. Because it's, they... it's a dangerous creature. It tried to kill somebody. <laughs> right. It's a, and if it's a ghoul, it's only going to eat dead humans yeah or living uh, humans that it then murders and then it's killed yeah it's gonna but it, apparently it's not eating anything they offer it i assume that means it's gonna try it only wants to eat people but you're right it's dangerous but it's at this point now it's just pathetic and sad because yeah. it's this dying man being that they don't want to die yeah like it's still a living thing and they're just kind of wigged out by it. Nobody wants to really talk about it. It's just kind of this sad thing in the bedroom. And yeah, it just slowly over weeks starves to death. 12, 12 days. A and fortnight, they have, that's what it is. And they have to bury this invisible thing in the backyard. And its cast was given to Dr. X. <laughs> who who has a museum of the unknown across the street 
And then our narrator's like, also, I'm going on a journey and I might never come back. Goodbye. I just had to write this down because boy, oh boy, was this an upsetting thing that happened. Yeah. And that's the story. And I finished it and I was so sad for everyone involved. Just because this thing starts out so horrific and weird and then it just becomes like just sad. It's just sad. I just felt sad. It's also scary. It's also a pretty it's spooky really story. Spooky, yeah, I was like, I when it when it first came from the ceiling, I was like, uh, literary jump scare. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh no. And again, very short. Yes. It's like, only like it's a, eight, seven pages. Yeah. And oh boy, does it pack a lot into those few pages. Yeah. I I think every like audio recording of it is like twenty five to thirty minutes long. Like it's mm-hmm. just it's a quick read. Um. So I read a, because I have to, I read a <laughs> article yeah. about this story uh, called, uh, from from 2008, uh, published in 19th Century Gender Studies mm-hmm. uh, by Joyce L. Huff of Ball State University called The Domesticated Monster, Freakishness and Masculinity in Fitzjames O'Brien's What Was It? And one thing that Joyce Huff talks about in it is the transition and this sort of has to do with the time period as well and and masculinity and gender and sexuality but the transition of the creature from and i found this fascinating from monster to freak Mm -hmm. from being a threat to just being an object of curiosity and at first i was like what do you mean like what's the difference between and she because she defines monster and she defines freak and they're very similar Mm -hmm. but the freak being a monster that you've essentially domesticated that you've looked at and you've explored and now it's not a monster anymore now it's just something that's different and now you just got to look at it Mm -hmm. and you just gotta it's just there to remind you of how awesome and human you are and that it's not yeah and and how that happens to, of course, this creature in the story. It goes from being this terrifying thing to just this pathetic, weird thing that then gets literally sold to a freak show mm-hmm. uh, at the end. And I don't know. I found that just add that just added to the tragedy of the story for me. Yeah. Um, and also the way the story ex- explores masculinity. And apparently this story is considered by many. It's included in a couple of... Uh, of of uh vampire collection yeah i was gonna i was gonna mention that uh because mm-hmm. it it really did feel like a vampire story i guess in some ways yeah uh, yeah just the way that the creatures described and what the creatures like like the throat focus the like mm-hmm. paleness yeah. of the creature Dracula's it felt like a guest. nosferatu yeah, there's a collection called Dracula's Guest, a connoisseur's collection of Victorian vampire stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a collection that's in called A Spectrum Unseen, Invisible Men, Women, and Creatures in Classic Science Fiction Fantasy. Uh, but yeah, apparently many many writers, a lot of editors consider this story like kind of a, a hybrid or like a, a bridge between like horror and fantasy and vampirism because Mm -hmm. yes it attacks a man in his bed goes for the throat is like it's not a it's not a traditional vampire but it's vampiric in a way i don't know i found that an interesting i was like oh i hadn't even thought about that 
And it, it, it involves like a house and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know. It feels very like uh-huh. like if it if the story was expanded, it would be like kind of like a gothic vampire tale. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, there's uh, obviously there's elements of the gothic in it. Yeah, there's the big um, house. There's the yep. like there's the stimulating conversations. <laughs> right. Uh, the the theme of like, what are you afraid of? Uh the only thing that's missing is a woman in a long white dress. But even like the skirts and the noises and stuff are mentioned. Yeah, it's it's so wild that it that it's that it's been put into vampirism, goth, the gothic. Uh, it's in uh, a century of science fiction. Mm-hmm. It's in a collection called Terrifying Ghost Stories. Uh, so and, and collections of various collections of weird tales. Yeah. So it's like nobody knows what to do with this, and it is what. Uh, was it what was it what was it (laughs) was it a ghost was it a vampire was it a ghoul was it something from another universe oh yeah because another person's like it's kind of like the bridge uh, that serves as like sort of a uh an inspiration for uh lovecraft's the beyond which is a science fiction tale about there's things that are unseen to us that are always around us Mm -hmm. uh in like a universe next door is this thing an extra dimensional being that just sort of fell through like in dreams in the witch house is it though is it the house itself that like allows things to just sort of fall through like was this thing just like going about its day and then it was like Whoa, like <laughs> fell down <laughs> next thing and it was in some guy's bed and it was like ah like is that what happened we will never know what was what it what was it what was it what was it Good story is what it was. It was a, I was going to say, it was a dang good story is what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked this story. So did I. And I liked learning about the guy. I like learning about good old Fitz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked I liked learning about him. I liked... I like... I, I feel... It's one of those weird things where I feel better having information about him in my life now. Like, yeah. Like, he seems like, just like a great guy. Yeah. And if not, like... The, I mean... From what I read, there's like, uh, he may have done some not so great things in his mm-hmm. life. And it, I don't know what people just make reference to like, uh, I think he may have gotten kicked out of a couple of bars in his day. Um, he he had a mean right hook. He had a mean right hook. I mean, he did get. His, I mean, he like, he got in some trouble while he was like in the army and stuff as well. But yeah, but he did some amazing things while he was in the army as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, uh, and had an interesting life. Like, I just, I wish we knew more about him. Yeah. I wish, I wish we, I wish, I wish these letters about him had been written soon after he died, as opposed to like, oh, it's been 18 years. I'm trying to, let me just dredge up. Uh, but enough in, there's enough evidence in those letters that even 18 years later, it brought up just this huge well of emotions in all these guys. Yeah. Uh, he was he was called manly a lot, a lot of manliness. But I think manliness in the sense of just like, like that sort of nineteenth century mm-hmm. meaning of the term. Yeah. Uh, not macho, but like he was appropriately manly. He had a big mustache. He had muscles, uh, and he would cry at the drop of a hat, like that kind of thing. Yeah. If you know that there's always that question that people are asked, like as like an icebreaker or whatever, like if you could meet someone dead or alive and like have a conversation with them, who would it be? I think this guy would be in my contenders for that. 
Yeah, I, I, at least I would just love to know what book he was going to work on had he not. Tell me away. about your book. <laughs> what was the book, Fitz? What were you gonna write? He was like, ah, oh, it's gonna be about a scientist who built a guy out of parts. And, uh, <laughs> I couldn't get it to work. Uh. It's gonna be about a vampire who came to London and uh, he was on a boat. It was a whole thing. I just never got around to putting it on paper. <laughs> What if he was like he what if you asked him and he exactly describes Game of Thrones? <laughs> and he's like, and I have it all the way to the ending. All I gotta do is write it down. Like, no. <laughs> no. It'll never be completed. It'll never be completed. Fitz James O'Brien. Uh the lost a lost author. So uh that was what was it? And it was awesome. And it was an invisible ghoul. Uh yeah, check it out. Check it out and check out go to go to uh go to archive.org and check out uh, the poems and stories of Fitzjames O'Brien just to read those letters. Mm-hmm. Um there's just so much in them uh that are just amazing. Uh again, I got all choked up reading them. Uh but what is what is what is next in the fabulous formless darkness? Shirley Jackson's The Beautiful Stranger. Now, this is our second Shirley Jackson, right? Uh, I believe so. Let me check. The Country People, I believe, was Uh, Shirley Jackson. Was that The Summer People? The Summer People. I was thinking of Good Country People. Yep. Uh, The Summer People. That's right. So this is our our second SJ. I just rewatched House on Haunted Hill. Or Haunting of Hill House. The Haunting of Hill House. Every time. (laughs) Every time. I just rewatched Haunting of Hill House. So I am in the mood for more Shirley Jackson in my life. Uh, I also rewatched ish. I've been, because I've been watching all the twilight movies and then I watched haunting of Hill house. Uh, the, the mom from, uh, the mom who plays Esme, the head of Esme Cullen, the head of the Cullens in in twilight is in the haunting of Hill house. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and that got me all like psyched so i watched the mike flanagan's ouija movie origin of evil in which she is the mom which is a great movie by the way ouija not a great movie ouija origin of evil the sequel prequel great movie it's mike flanagan he knows what he's doing but it's also got like it's also peppered with hill house people in it too there's like a few hill house actors in it uh so that's so that's always fun that's that's always fun also just read the uh just read the cesarean section scene in Breaking Dawn. So that was fun as well. I do enjoy there's so much body horror in the Twilight books that people that don't get enough credit. Uh uh good stuff. I'm having uh, a good time with this. Apparently this could potentially be a parody of gothic romance, which I'm very excited about. Which you are very excited. How much how much surviving gothic writing is a parody of gothic writing? Uh a lot. Like, a lot. Like, I, I assume that it's a lot. Like, and people don't realize it as they're yeah. reading it. Uh, and a lot of my favorite gothic writing is parody of gothic writing, because I love when things don't take itself too seriously. But also, you only get that it's a parody if you know what you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone takes it at face value. It's either a parody of gothic writing, or it's like a a, a deconstruction and a commentary on yeah. the gothic. Yeah, yep. Like, oh no, you don't understand, like... She was taking the gothic and doing something new with it, mm-hmm. but now we just think this is the gothic. <laughs> oh, fun stuff. Uh, also, there's a fun word in the description of this piece, this piece called horripilation, which is not a real word, but I'm excited a real about word. it. <laughs> was that a word made up by David G. Hartwell? Yeah. 
Oh, David G. Hartwell, you 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 do my heart well. Also, our episode on uh on the the King in Yellow on the repair of reputations. Yeah. Was listened to by Kenneth Height, mm-hmm. the author of the 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 King in Yellow annotated edition. Yep. Much much to my mo- uh, horror, uh, <laughs> I, I guess he was googling. He was Googling the annotated King in Yellow and he came across the fact that I mentioned it, I guess, in the description of the episode. So he like publicized it far and wide. He was yeah. like, you got to listen to this. I was so honored. I was so like, so like moved and touched by the fact that he would do that. Also, really happy we didn't like say any terrible things about his <laughs> book. <laughs> it's a great book. You should go and buy it. I guess like paperback editions are coming out now. It's going into like, oh, I, really? I think it's going to be. I think it's going to go into like a more freely available edition. I, okay. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, so if it does, grab it. I I grabbed a twenty eight dollar PDF, no regrets because I keep going back to that thing. It's amazing, it's amazing. So thank you, Kenneth Height, for putting us out there. Uh, uh, yes, thank you for for that. <laughs> if you ever want to be on the show, let me know. <laughs> We'll talk. We'll talk to an expert. I love talking to experts. Yeah, experts are fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. Sorry, I got. I am also little... here. I'm a shark. You're also here. You're a shark. <laughs> Dab. <laughs> well, just because I'm a cowboy doesn't mean I can't. Dab. Conquer anger Conquer through an- gentleness. <laughs> conquer anger through gentleness so uh that's me um and uh join us next time for a little a little shirley jackson yeah and uh i'm phil and i'm willow and we'll see you when it's it's del Del toro Toro time Time. bye (laughs) bye